Well, I want to add my welcome this morning on this cool day, um, but great day to be in God's house, amen? And uh, we're glad each of you are here today. And we've been in a series looking at First uh, Peter together. And so let's just ask God's blessing to be with us before we open, open his word. Father in heaven, we're thankful today that we can again study in your word today, which you've said is spirit and life. So bring us life, bring us your Holy Spirit into our lives today as we study. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Battle for the soul. So uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. Now we're told that the average person has about 60,000 thoughts a day. I don't know how they determine that, but uh, that's quite a few thoughts. And the unfortunate thing is that 90% of these thoughts are repetitive. So uh, they're just repeat thoughts again and again. And unfortunately, 80% of them are negative. So that's probably one of the reasons it's good to come to church, <laughs> right? so that we can think some positive thoughts, hear some positive music, have uh, praise and different things to refocus our minds and our attention. And each person in Scripture and each person in this room has a problem with uh, negative thoughts. Sometimes we have positive thoughts. I remember Peter who wrote this, uh, this epistle when he was at Caesarea Philippi, and Jesus asked him, who do men say that I am? And what did he say? Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. That's a thought from heaven, Peter. Great thought, thought from heaven. How many of you have ever had thoughts from heaven? You just know they were divinely inspired thoughts from heaven. Not as many as I thought here in this group. Uh, we need to work on this. Let's just see if your hands work. How many of you can raise your hands to see? Okay, thoughts from heaven. How many of you have some good thoughts, thoughts from God you believe? Okay, but that wasn't the end of the day. About 10 minutes later, Jesus began to describe what he was going to do to save the world. He was going to be taken away by the scribes and Pharisees, and he was going to be persecuted, tortured, and then he would die on a cross. And Peter said, forbid it, Lord, that this should happen to you. Jesus turned around, and what did he say? Get thee behind me, Satan, for you're not mindful of the things of God. That is a thought from hell. Now, how many of you have ever had thoughts from hell? I see even more hands. So each of us have thoughts from heaven, and each of us have thoughts from hell. We have good thoughts. We have bad thoughts. And the struggle in our life is continually getting rid of those negative thoughts, negative behaviors, and filling our mind with good thoughts. There are thoughts and feelings suggested and aroused by Satan that annoy even the best of men. Look at that man next to you or that woman next to you and say, even you are annoyed with these thoughts. <laughs> even the best of men. 
In fact, even Christ himself, it says he was tempted in all points like as we are. He was tempted with negative thoughts. So, we're all in good company today. And it's in that setting we look at our passage for today in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. So we're going to learn several things from our passage today. The first one is, remember that every day when you wake up, you're in a war. We just kind of covered that, didn't we? And the war is not necessarily out in the culture, although it is there. It's in your own head. You don't have to go anywhere to be in a war. You just wake up, and you have, what? 90% of your thoughts are repeat, and they're negative. And you're battling all day about those intrusive thoughts that are suggested by the devil. Sometimes they might be suggested by your relatives, too, <laughs> or people at work. And every day you wake up, remember you're in a war. Now, how many think it does help you to remember that you're in a war? Are you a little bit more careful if you know you're on enemy territory? And I think this is important. Remember, first of all, that you're in a war. Number two, know what the battles fields are, the minefield fields in this war are. In our text, it talked about fleshly lusts, things of the flesh. Fleshly lusts are things that war against the what? Against the soul. What was Peter talking about? We go to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 3 and 4 to discover. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles. Will is a technical word for the law, the, the law of the country. Of course, in the verse before, in verse 2, it talks about the will of God. David says, I delight to do thy will, thy law is written in my heart. So in that day, there not only were negative uh, thoughts, there were not only lustful thoughts, they were a part of the law of the Gentile world. And I think we're coming to a time in our country where there are going to be laws that are just like that, if we're not already there. We spend enough time of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lusts, drunkenness, revelries, drinking, parties, and abominable idolatries. Regarding these, they think it's strange that you do not run with them. Why aren't you doing what we're doing? and the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. So in the culture of the New Testament, there was rampant lust, immorality, and all this list, and everybody was doing it, and they were saying, why aren't you doing it? Um, any parallels with today uh, that you see? Of course, the ruler of the world at that time and the emperor who would in fact bring an end to Paul's life and Peter's life was Nero. 
And Nero modeled the debauchery of the mind, the lust of the mind, in the culture from his position as emperor. Nero, he and his mother were known for their, their immorality, um, and he could never get enough immorality. He would have immorality during the day, and then at night he would go out and run the streets, accosting people dressed up in various guises. He wanted something new, something novel, something that would spike his dopamine. So he went out and he would do this every night. He killed his mother and he killed his wife. And um, he was really sad that he killed his wife. And so he publicly married a young boy named Sporus, who he thought looked like his wife. He had Sporus made into a woman, married him with all the usual ceremonies, including a dowry and a bridal veil, and took, took him to his home, attended by a great throng, and treated him as his wife. This was the ruler of the kingdom at that time. But it wasn't just at the top of society these things were happening. A typical banquet in Peter's time would consist of this. Be held in a banqueting room, connected with one of the temples where meat was offered to idols, and became the great delicacy. After the meal, the women of the family, having been dismissed, came a drinking party and entertainment. The latter commonly consisted of flute girls or companions, they were called. Sexual relations with these women or with boys would then end the evening. And this was the culture of the New Testament. Throughout the New Testament, in all of the epistles written, we have lists talking about this very thing throughout that time period. Novel presentations of continual and increased temptations, evil temptations. So it was designed to actually maximize the chemical response, you might say, with new and even more bizarre acts of immorality. This was the New Testament. How many think the Bible might be relevant today? Nobody? Is the Bible relevant today? Hello. <laughs> now, we have a, I think we may have a radiologist here today that can help me with this study. Uh, they did an experimental functional magnetic, magnetic resonance imaging experiment. They gave Kool-Aid or water that was dripped on the back of the tongue of people that were put in this machine. And it could not be tasted until it was swallowed. As long as the drips were unpredictable, dopamine would be released. The dopamine system is most responsive to novel or new unpredictable rewards. When people knew it was coming, the dopamine would not go up as high. But when it was novel, when it was something new, this triggers dopamine. And this is used. How many think this idea is actually used by the devil in his temptations. How many think that might be, might, might be true? Now, by the way, the delivery systems today of dopamine, you might even have on your wrist today. Who has an Apple Watch today? Hold it up, proud, loud, and say, it's a Macintosh. <laughs> it's a Macintosh. Macintosh computer, 
smartphone. Of course, my last name is Macintosh. I guess I'm the ultimate dopamine delivery system. Well, dopamine, this is them talking about this uh, Macintosh Apple Watch. Dopamine is a wonderful feature of our brain. It washes our brains with pleasure and keeps us coming back. The Apple Watch is a dopamine harvesting powerhouse. Throughout the day, I get taps from my watch, letting me know there's something exciting to see. Sometimes I even get the taps during the preacher's sermon. Just kidding. I'm constantly awash in pleasure hits, and this makes my intimate experience with the watch all the better. Better. You don't, if you don't believe me, check out this article. And then the article begins to talk about the neurological connectivity of the Apple Watch. It succeeds at satisfying all six major consumer value shifts. Demand for experiences. It delivers those. Customization and personalization. You can put different screens, have different colors, have different beeps and bumps. Affordable luxury. You can actually afford it. Continuous streams of new products or services. There you go. Novel things. More and more dopamine. Instantaneously and more often. You don't have to wait very long. It can keep you locked in and loaded with new bursts of dopamine. And now we're even beginning to create community life, like lifestyles. Where you can get together on your WhatsApp, on your watch. We even heard today in one of our announcements. And you can stay connected with people digitally. And this will help you embed technology in every aspect of your life. And along with it comes dope. That's what I mean. <laughs> now, you know what the largest delivery on the platform of a smartphone is today? What's delivered more than anything else on the internet and on smartphones. Pornography is the web's chief export into the world. For many millions of people, it is the definitive feature of their relationship with the web and with their smartphone. Three of the top 20 most visited websites in the world are adult sites, accounting for over 4 billion visits in a single month. And the web is an endless novelty machine, especially in this area. So people are just totally addicted, and they're addicted largely to the same things that Nero was addicted to in the first century. And they go everywhere. You don't have to go to Rome. You can just stay at home. As I said to someone last week, you can uh, go home in the dark and drink, or you can come to church in the light and think. Can you say amen? <laughs> so number one, remember every day you're in a war. Number two, know where the battle or the minefields are, and we've looked at some of them. Number three, don't think these battles are unimportant. They are for your very soul. It says, abstain from fleshly lusts that war against the soul. Now, the soul in the Bible is the word nephesh, suke in the, in the New Testament, 
it actually just means life. No one has an immortal soul. Uh, nowhere in the Bible does it talk about an immortal soul. That's Greek philosophy and pagan philosophy that crept in and in the centuries after the New Testament. Um, and souls can die. The soul that sins, it shall die, it says in the Bible. Um, so we don't have souls, we are souls. And what Paul is saying is, if you get involved in these fleshly lusts, you are going to hurt your life. In fact, you might even lose it. Immediately he went after her as an ox goes to the slaughter. How many of you have ever seen an ox go to the slaughter? Now, I used to live near slaughterhouses, and I don't say I visited them often, but um, I did visit once to see what they did. And they had a maze where the ox would go in, and then it would get a little bit darker and darker, and finally the ox would go to feed at a trough, and boom, would be instantly killed. But it was so comfortable as you were going down the maze. It was amazing, you thought, until you didn't think at all. Immediately he went after as an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a fool to the correction of the stalks, till an arrow struck his liver. Now, there's, there's probably no good place to get hit with an arrow. But certainly the worst place would be your liver. Why is that? It's very vascular, and you're going to bleed to death very rapidly. As the bird hastens to the snare, he did not know it would cost his life. In 2020, suicide was the second most common cause of death among those aged 10 to 14. And the third most common cause of death for those 15 to 24. And this is a huge elevation that has happened over the last few years. There's a sharp and impossible to miss correlation, say the researchers, between the rise of self-reported mental health crises among teens and young adults and the availability and use of smartphone technology. In fact, as soon as smartphones came out, People begin to die sooner and sooner and sooner, especially in the age demographic of 10 to 14 years old and 15 to 24. Is this concerning to you? And this is why we have such a huge mental health and suicide health crisis in America. Now, they did a survey even here at Weimar University and even some on this campus are struggling with some of the things I'm talking about, which is one of the reasons I'm talking about it. It doesn't just happen out there, it happens here, because the phone is right here. It's very near. And as the researchers talked about this, one said, the threat is to our souls. At this rate, if the noise does not relent, we might even forget we have any. Of course, this is not the correct understanding of the soul, but you get the person's point. We're losing our lives because of the same things that were happening in that ancient culture of the first and second century. So number one, remember you're in a war. Number two, know where the battles are. Number three, don't think these battles are unimportant. Therefore, your very soul, your very life. 
So what should we do? Number four, listen to the right people. In our text, there were the Gentiles, people of the flesh, and those who love you and beg you to do what's right, people of the spirit. Notice it in the text itself. Beloved, I beg you, sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which were against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles who speak against as evildoers. There's the two groups. The Gentiles, the word there is ethnos. It's not a racial, you know, it's not, not a racist statement. It's just those that were pagan, those that were heathen, those that were involved in all the different uh, lust and sexual immorality and all the other perversions versus those who love you and beg you not to do that. I was talking uh, recently with someone who says, my, my spouse was involved in this behavior and I begged them and they wouldn't listen and now their uh, spouse is dead and uh, would not listen. Have you ever begged somebody to do something and they did not listen to you? But probably the only way they would listen is if they knew that you loved them. Beloved, I beg you. Beloved, I beg you. This is Peter. Peter understands what it is to have thoughts that are from heaven. He understands what it is to have thoughts from hell. He's not uh, talking in a holier-than-thou manner. He knows that he still has the war himself. And he says, I beg you. That word beg is parakaleo, which means to come by parallel and to call out. I beg you. I'm coming close to you. I love you. Let me look at you right in the face right next to your head. Please, don't do that. <laughs> Have you ever had anyone beg you? Have you ever had anyone beg you not to do something? I remember I was working in the hospital, and uh, I was not converted. And I'm still not as converted as I need to be, and neither are you. But I was even less converted than now. Uh, I think our conversions need to deepen, Amen. And I was less converted then. And I was, <laughs> I won't even tell you what I was doing. But one of the nurses, one of the nurses, Arlene, saw that I was not really helpful in the hospital in the way that I should be. And so she said, Don, I'd like to talk to you in the dirty utility room. I should have known not to go in there. I mean, uh, and she was a short nurse, about five foot four, and she said, could you lean down here and help me with this? As soon as I leaned over, she grabbed my neck. She picked up a bedpan, and she began to hit me over the head with it. Bang! <laughs> and she said, Don, you're not here to do what you're doing. You're here to take care of these sick people. Don't do it anymore. And as I was <laughs> reeling from the blows, she began crying, Don, I can't seem to get your attention. And she was hitting me on the hat, off of the head with a bedpan, and then she grabbed the fracture pan and hit me on the, upside the other side of my head. Now, I would normally not be happy about this. I can't say it was greatly happy then, but I knew that Arlene loved me. She was crying. Don, please, don't do, 
Don't do that. Now, I was on guard after that. <laughs> I was walking around like this. Where's Arlene? Because she's short and she could hide, you know. <laughs> didn't know where Arlene was next. And, uh, but I didn't have to worry about Arlene. Because you know what Arlene was doing? She was walking into the patient rooms. She was rubbing people's backs. She was doing stuff she didn't have to do to help all the people. She loved the people in the hospital. And as I was watching out for her, because I was watching out for myself, I realized she was watching out for other people. I remember going to Arlene's funeral. <laughs> and there were all kinds of people from the community there. And why were they there? Because Arlene loved them. And when some like that begs you, you listen, even if they hit you upside the head with a bedpan. <laughs> and that's what the text is saying. I beg you, beloved, please, don't listen to the evildoers that say, why aren't you doing this with us? Listen to the ones who are beloved, who are begging you. Now, this last week, some of us have been studying the book of Daniel, and we studied chapter 5, which showed how a young king who was in his teens was headed the wrong way. By the way, Nero, that emperor we were talking about, he died at age 30, but he started his spiral downward at age 17. And in that ancient culture, you know, he became leaders much younger and adults at that age. Anyway, this young king named Belshazzar was heading the wrong way. And uh, he was involved in all of the vice lists that I just read in the New Testament and more, doing things of the flesh. But something happened. What happened? There was some handwriting that was on the wall. Who wrote on the wall? Who wrote on the wall? It was God. <laughs> and then there was a lampstand that was brought in, to, maybe even lit. Where was that lampstand from? It was from the sanctuary. And who was it then that turned the lights on so he could see the way he was going? It was God. Who sent the queen mother to talk to him? Remember, you don't usually listen to people that you don't think love you, but this was his queen mother. This was his grandmother. His grandmother comes in to entreat him. Please, turn around. Please, don't do this. Please, listen to Daniel. He's a man of the spirit. Please, pointing him back to God's word. Point him back to God's prophet. And then Daniel himself comes in. What does he do? He doesn't say, I'm not going to help you. He says, well, let me read that for you. Let me read the handwriting. Let me explain what's happening. Let me model for you not to follow the flesh, but follow the spirit. The more I thought about the story this week, I realized God was reaching out and saying, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul before it's too late. What a picture of love. 
What a picture of love. And who was behind it all? God's behind it all. And if anybody comes to you and is calling you out of a life of the flesh into a life of the spirit, that's God. That's God. That's God speaking to you. You can find all kinds of problems with any person. But sometimes God even speaks through donkeys and roosters and people that maybe you don't think do everything right. How many want to listen to the voice of God no matter who it comes from? And that was the picture was given here in Daniel chapter 5. Did Peter know anything about God's devotion? By the way, I was singing this week. I walked with a number of students. I've been walking with students and praying with them in the morning between 6 and 7. And a common theme came up as I was talking to students this week and praying with them. And that was, many of them said to me, I don't think I have the right kind of devotional life. I think my devotional life is this and that. And they went on and on. And I, I began to listen. And I began to realize, you know what the problem is? Sometimes we talk too much about our devotional life. Like it's ours. Like it's for us. And we become too self-focused. Oh, I'm not memorizing enough scripture. Oh, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. You know, I think maybe, and I'm not saying that's all bad, but let me, let me just run this past you. See if I get fired here right in the front of all of you. I actually think the more important than your devotional life is God's devotional life. Hello? How many think God's devotional life might be more important than your devotional life? How many think it might be more useful to focus on God's devotion to you instead of your devotion to Him? How many of you think if you focus on what God is trying to do to help you, it might help you be, be more devoted to him? Did Peter know anything about God's devotional life concerning him? The Lord said to Simon, 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 this is an entreaty. Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. It was because Peter thought about God's devotional life and not his own that he was saved. Your own devotional life is worthless without God. It's God's devotional life that saves you. How many are thankful for God's devotional life? Amen. When you were returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Look at that. When you have returned to me, what a kernel of hope. When you've returned to me. I remember once I was sitting in the seminary and I had gone to the seminary to see whether or not I should be a Christian. I lied to get into the seminary. I was a functional atheist and I had been trying all these different religions, but I thought maybe I'll go back to the seminary and see what they have to say. And I went really for the library. The teachers were somewhat of a distraction. But as I was in the seminary, there was a, a teacher, there was a student sitting next to me, an old guy, he used to be uh, in the Black Panthers. This guy was no joke. His arms, his wrists were as big as my legs. I mean, this dude was big. And I knew he could do me in at any moment, you know. And he would just look at me. He would listen to me, what I was saying. And he would, and he would say, Don, when you're converted, strengthen the brethren. I was like, what's this guy talking about? When you're converted, strengthen the brethren. He was quoting this. 
when you're converted, strengthen the brethren. And this is what Jesus did. His devotional life is what turned Peter around. Number five, remember who you really are and where you're going. In the text it says, I, I beseech you, I beg you, beloved, I beg you as sojourners and as pilgrims to abstain from fleshly lusts that's war against the soul. You know that song? Ever heard that song? I'm a pilgrim. Sing it with me. And I'm a stranger. I can tarry, I can tarry, but a night. Do not detain me, for I am going to where the fountains are ever flowing. I'm a pilgrim, and I'm a stranger. I can tarry, I can tarry, but a night. There the glory is ever shining. Oh, my longing heart, my longing heart is here in this country so dark and dreary. I long have wandered forlorn and weary. I'm a pilgrim and I'm a stranger. I can tarry, I can tarry the night. There's the city to which I journeyed. My Redeemer, my Redeemer is it there is no sorrow, nor any sighing, nor any tears there, nor any dying. I'm a pilgrim, and I'm a stranger. I can tarry, I can tarry, but I'm that's the That's the point of those words. You know, I'm just here. I'm just passing through. There's something so much better. Yes. I'm setting my mind on things above, not on earth. For my, I died and my life is hidden with Christ in God. I'm, Ephesians 2, in heavenly places, or Ephesians chapter 1, I, I picture myself in heavenly places. There's glory that's ever shining. I might be living here next to you, but I don't listen to the laws of this land if they're not in accordance with the laws of that land. I might have residency here, but my real residency is up there. That's the picture that's given in these verses. Number six, in a battle, you don't just walk around like you have nothing to do. You need to kill the enemy. You need to kill the enemy. How many think we need to go for the kill? If the devil's going to kill us, how many think we need to go after him? I think many times in our lives, we are not doing this. So let me show you um, how to kill the enemy here, just briefly. 
looking at some passages. Colossians 3, 5 through 10 says, Put to death, therefore, the members of your body that are on the earth. Those members that are, are reaching for that cigarette or vaping, those members that are masturbating, those members that are turning that dial, those members that are doing the bad things, put to death the members of your body that are on the earth, sexual immorality, impurity and passion, evil desire, and covetousness. Covetousness is that idea of novelty. I need more and more and more. I'm coveting something new, something different. Romans 8, 13. How do you do this? If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body. So if you want to put to death the deeds of the body, you need what? What does it say? You need the Spirit. How many think we need more of the Spirit in our lives? And where do we get that Spirit? We have the sword of the Spirit. Remember in Ephesians chapter 6, some of us have been studying the book of Ephesians. And in Ephesians chapter 6, there is that armor, the helmet of salvation. There are all the different parts of that armor, but there's only one offensive weapon. There's only one that we can go on the offense and kill the enemy, and that's the sword of the Spirit. It's that two-edged sword, which Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 tells us is the living Word of God. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And then in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, whereby are given to us, what do we take in that word? Whereby are given to us exceeding great and precious what? Promises that by these you may be partakers of the what? Divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. How many can see that this is a powerful way of battling the enemy? Amen. Last night, Pastor Rich, when he was talking, he said, look, I'll give verse packs to people that want to start memorizing 10 verses before, I can't remember what the date was, before the end of the semester or whatever it is. This is a great strategy and one that he used in his own life that actually turned his life around. It's a strategy that many people have used. I've heard, I've talked to Pastor Doug Batchelor, how he came out of the world and in, in, into the Lord. He began memorizing scripture. And with that scripture, began to kill the devil out of his life. Amen. This is a, a proven strategy, and I wanted to share a couple of those promises. Because these promises of God are, again, text messages that God has sent showing his devotion to you. Amen. Our devotion, not worth much. His devotion, worth everything. Amen. And if we live in his devotion, we're going to have victory over the flesh. And we're going to need that victory every day, by the way. The Lord God, this is this. This is God's devotion to your devotions. The Lord God has given me, can you say hallelujah? hallelujah? Has given me the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak a word in season to him is weary. Man, this happened all last week for me. I was talking to a lot of people. I was asking God, please give me the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak a word in season to people who are weary, that are beat down. Give me that. I don't have it. I don't know what to say. Give me the tongue of the Lord. You see, my devotional life is not about me. It's about someone else. Give me the tongue of the learned 
that I know how to speak to someone else. A problem with most of our devotional life is we're obsessing about ourselves. Get off yourself. Amen. Focus on somebody else. Aren't you kind of sick of yourself? Amen. I'm sick of myself. Maybe some of you are joining me in that, but the Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned. He awakens me by morning by morning. Don't set alarm clocks. When I saw this text years ago, I got rid of my watch. Yeah, even if I had an Apple watch, I would have thrown it in the water. I, I, I saw this and I said, wait a minute. If God is interested in my devotional life, he's going to keep this promise and he's going to wake me up morning by morning. I read an article back then that said, you look at your watch 300 times. I said, I want to look at my wife 300 times, not my watch. So I threw away my watch. I just threw it away. And guess what? Ever since then, I've never, ever set an alarm for my devotional life, and God has always gotten me up. Hello? How many want to try that? Maybe you could sell all your watches and have a good mission trip somewhere. So he awakens me morning by morning. Every morning he awakens me. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned. The Lord God has opened my ear. When I was not rebellious, nor did I turn away. The Lord will wake you up. Now, whether or not you go back to sleep is on you. But he is going to wake you up. I can assure you, I know it for years, decades of experience. How many are thankful for God's devotional life? See those two things in that text? He's saying what? I'm devoted to you, Don. I'm devoted to you, whatever your name is. I'm devoted to you. I'm going to wake you up. So we praise him for his devotion. Number two, I'm devoted to others through you. So our devotional life should focus on God and others. Hello? When we start focusing on God and others, our self will be taken care of, I can assure you. But when we focus on ourselves all the time, we get neurotic. Hello? Nobody besides me had that issue. God's devotional life. The Lord has given me this tongue. He awakens me. He's able to save. Look at this. I won't do more of these because we've got to close up. Therefore, he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. He's always making intercession. You're going, I don't know if anyone cares about me. God does. I don't know if anyone's praying for me. God is. I don't know if anyone's out to help me. He, he's, he's sending anyone that's open to him, and they're going to help you. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He gives us the victory. Oh, I don't have victory. Yeah, you don't have victory. He has the victory, Amen. and he's going to give it to you. How many think these are promises we need to be claiming? Amen. So I, I suggest that we kill the enemy by focusing on God's devotional life for once. Amen. Okay. <laughs> grace, I love this. Amazing grace is an attribute of God. Exercise toward. <laughs> toward. We don't ask for grace. It comes after us. Toward undeserving human beings. We did not seek for grace but it was sent in search of us. What does it say in Titus? The grace of God has appeared to all men. All men. There's no man it hasn't appeared to. It has appeared. 
and sent by God. God rejoices to bestow his grace upon us, not because we're worthy, but because we are so utterly unworthy. Our only claim to his mercy is our great need. How many of you are thankful for the love of God? That's the picture given here. And number seven, finally, (laughs) my last point, I believe we should bask in divine dopamine. You know, the devil has, has done, a, done a march and he has dopamized us with smartphones, which are really dumb phones, and smartwatches, which are not really that smart, and has got us addicted to whatever it is. But I think God wants us to get reconnected to him. And that's why I chose that text today from Lamentations for our scripture reading. Hmm. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. You see, my dopamine rushes that I come up with, they cease. I look at that, I do this, I have that entertainment, and it always fades away. And it fades away quicker and quicker and quicker. But the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. I remember back when I was hanging around the drug culture, they say, man, this is good stuff. I was high for three days. That's nothing compared to God. You can be high forever with God. You can be most high. (laughs) They are new every morning. That's novelty. Every single morning, something new. Someone says to me, why do you keep preaching? Don't you get sick of that? No, because I keep learning new things every single time. Why why do you keep reading the Bible? Because I see new things. Why do you keep visiting with people and helping other people? Because when I see it through the lens of what they need, I learn something new. And dopamine is this bursting all this week. I've been basking. I've been swimming. I've been surfing in dopamine. And I think we need to do more of that. Bask in the divine dopamine. The problem is, we're not high enough. We're subterranean. And he's got something greater for us. Great is your faithfulness. I love this one. Psalm 16. You will show me the path of life. This is real life. In your presence is what? Not joy. Not like joy. Joy. No. It's fullness of joy. It's joy that goes on and on and on. And at your right hand are pleasures. Not just more. Not just four. Forevermore. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You see, we don't get high enough. We're not connected enough. Many times, what we think is the greatest thing is just a joke. And we focus on things that are sideshows. How many of you guys want to get high? How many of you guys want to really, really get high? How many want to get most high? 
I'm going to be high for a long time. How about forever? That's the point. That's the point. Don't. Beloved. Beloved. I beg you. Abstain from fleshly lusts. Fleshly delights. And delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. That's the picture. I beg you, as soldiers, as pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts that war against the soul. Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. Oh, no, they'll speak evil of you, but they'll see your good works and they'll realize they're not yours, they'll realize they're God's, which they observe. And they'll glorify God, not you, God. They'll, they'll glorify your supplier. Who got that guy high? <laughs> That's what, where is that? Where is that? I want something from that guy. That's exactly what's happening here. So remember you're in a war. Remember where the lion fields are. These battles are not unimportant. It's for your very life. Listen to the right people. Remember who you really are and where you're going. Go for the kill. Bask in divine dopamine. And just have sunshine in your soul today. You don't have to wait to get to heaven to have heaven. Yes. Heaven can start now. Amen. And let's sing that song together. There is sunshine in my soul together. Today is close. There is sunshine in my soul, not tomorrow. Today, more glorious and bright than glows in any earthly sky. For Jesus is my light. Let's sing this media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.